0: Well, good morning, Convergent Church. It's great to be gathered with you guys again. If you're joining us for your first time, welcome. My name is Dan, and I'm one of the pastors and planters here at Convergent Church, and we're so grateful that you've joined us here today. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our new sermon series titled, The Gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that title sounds a little weird, a little off at first, doesn't it? We most often use the two words spirit and gift when referring to spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts imparted to us by the Holy Spirit upon becoming a Christian. Yet here we are with a series titled The Gift of the Holy Spirit. When you think of the Holy Spirit, what comes to mind? I like the deep sigh of contemplation over here from some of our kids. Depending on your church background, you may think of a a mystical force or miraculous signs and wonders. Maybe it's heavenly languages, speaking in tongues. No doubt the Holy Spirit has poured out all kinds of miraculous gifts on the church to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. But have you ever stopped And thought about how the Spirit himself is a gift. The Spirit himself is an amazing, miraculous gift to the church. And in this sermon series, we're examining his truly extraordinary work in the life of every believer. From the very beginning, from the moment that we place our faith in Jesus and become a Christian, to the very end, seeing our inheritance of eternal life realized In heaven, and everything in between. Now, last week, we began our series by looking at regeneration. That is the Spirit's work in our being born again. How we become children of God, not by our own works, not by our own merit but rather the Spirit Himself giving us new life. It's it's nothing that we do, but the Spirit gives us faith. And this morning, we're going to continue on in our series with a study on Revelation. Not the book of Revelation. We're not talking end times, apocalypse, Mark of the Beast, uh, none of that stuff. Rather, how the Spirit actually reveals things to us. Now, have you ever Lost something in the dark. Maybe you lost your keys by the campfire only to frantically pace around the lawn with the dim light illuminating from your phone in hopes of finding them. I'm not speaking from experience. Or or maybe you're driving your car and your phone slides in between the driver's seat and the center council only for uh, you to begin erratically driving as your hand is beneath the seat fumbling to try and figure out where your phone is at. Again, not speaking from experience. uh, Better yet, a recurring game we play in the Dameron household nearly every night is called Do You Have the Remotes? As many of you know, Sarah and I are true crime junkies on the FBI's watch list without a doubt. And really, the only time we get to watch our true crime TV shows is right before we go to sleep each night. Romantic, right? (laughs) But nonetheless, each night we crawl into bed, we turn on the TV, we turn out the lights and pick up where we left off in whatever series we've been watching But then the closer it gets to midnight, and the the more that we begin to drift off into sleep, something happens. One of us will lean over, annoyed at the light from the TV or, or the sound from the audio, only to say these words Do you have the remotes? AKA, Will you turn the TV off and turn the fan on so I can go to sleep? Only for the other to reply, No, I thought you had the remotes. And there we are in the dark running our hands across the top of the covers and underneath the sheets trying to find the roads. And and most of the time, it's to no avail. So one of us will have to get up, walk over to the TV, turn it off, turn the fan on, walk back to bed, and crawl back into bed. But then when the morning comes and gives light, illuminating our bedroom— Aha, there are the remotes, usually right in plain sight. Honestly, they're usually somewhere actually on top of the comforter. Yet in the darkness of night, we could not see them. We couldn't find them. This morning, I have just one point for you. Shocking, I know, especially from the man who's track record says that he's going to preach anywhere from 40 to 55 minutes on a given Sunday, but we really do just have one point this morning and three facets of it. You had to to have known that there was a catch. The point this morning is this, the Holy Spirit reveals, or said another way, the Holy Spirit gives us new eyes to see. The Spirit who gives life that we examined last week Does so through supernatural revelation. And he does so in this way. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see our sin, to see our Savior, and to see the truths of Scripture. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen behind me. And we'll begin reading in verse 7. Now, leading up to this point in John's gospel, Jesus prophesied. He foretold his disciples how they would be hated as he had been hated, how they would be persecuted just as he had been persecuted, how they would be put out of the synagogues, and and, and some of them would even be killed for having followed him. And then Jesus says something staggering in John 16 and in verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus just told them it's to their advantage that he no longer be in their midst as they endure all of these things. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I just wish that, Jesus was here beside me in the flesh, walking beside me. I just wish Jesus was here to comfort me in my distress. I just wish that he was here to instruct me in what to do, to help me navigate the complexity of this season of life. Have you, have you ever thought these things? I know that I have many times. Sometimes life in this broken world is just hard. And at times it feels like it would all be easier if Jesus was just here with us in the flesh to comfort, to instruct, and to help. Yet according to Jesus' own words here in John 16, this is our new reality. It is better to have the Spirit inside of us than Jesus beside us. It is better to have the Spirit inside of us than Jesus Beside us. He said, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. This word helper means counselor, one who encourages. It means not only one who encourages, but one who also comforts and advocates, an intercessor. This is how Jesus describes the spirit that he would. Send upon his people upon his earthly departure. Now, you may be asking yourself, why is it to my advantage that Jesus departed and in turn sent his Spirit? And that's a great question. And it's because the Spirit reveals, the Spirit gives you and I eyes to see. And the verses to follow will help us better understand the significance of that. Let's continue reading in verses 8 through 11. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is facet number one of our main point, and that is this. The Spirit reveals our sin. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see our sin. To see our sin. In Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that when God fills us with his Spirit, that the the eyes of our hearts are actually enlightened. Now, what's the significance of this? What is so miraculous about this? Last week when Jameson taught on regeneration, the spirit giving us life, he spent some time talking about what theologians refer to as the doctrine of total depravity or the doctrine of radical corruption. In the event that anyone missed it, let me just briefly recap this doctrine to give you a better understanding of the magnitude of this point that Jesus gives us eyes to see our sin. The doctrine of total depravity would say this, that the eternal God of the Bible is the sole creator of all things, in the heavens and on the earth. He separated the light from the dark, the day from the night, the dry lands from the waters. He filled the land and the seas with plants and animals. And lastly, he formed mankind in his own image. And he declared all of his creation to be very good. And in the Garden of Eden, God daily walked with Adam and Eve. He had given them dominion over all things. The only thing that he prohibited is that they not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warned them that the day that they did, that they would surely die. Well, that came not long after. The day came when they rebelled against God and ate of that tree. And it was at this moment that sin and death entered the world just as God said it would. And when you look around and see how just jacked up the world is, this is the root of it. This is where it all started. And mankind not only inherited Adam and Eve's sin, but from that day forward, we have all continued in our own rebellion against God and His law that was given to us for our own good. Thus, the human race became totally corrupt dead in their sin, rendered spiritually blind to the things of God. Romans 3 emphatically declares that no one is righteous, that no one understands the things of God, that no one seeks God, that all have turned away. That's some heavy stuff. Those are some strong realities. So where can hope be found. God was clear regarding what the judgment for sin would be. And that means that he would have been perfectly just to leave you and I in our sin. To meet the end of our own demise. But that's not what he did. Because of God's love for his people throughout the Old Testament, we see God cause his spirit to fall upon certain people at different times. Most often, prophets and priests and kings of Israel, the Spirit came upon them to lead God's people, to convict them concerning their sin and to instruct them of what was to come. God dwelt above the people. His Spirit fell on a select few people, but the majority remained blind in their sin. Then in the Gospels, We see God's love for his people displayed yet again in that he sends his only son, Jesus, into the world. And Jesus walked among the people, leading the people, convicting them of their sin, instructing them of the things that were to come. But it gets better even still. What did Jesus say would happen when he departed? He said he would send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to do what? To convict the world concerning their sin. No longer does the Spirit fall on a select. Few prophets, priests, and kings to reveal the sins of God's people to them. No longer do we have to be in the physical presence of Jesus for our sin to be exposed. The Spirit has now come and dwells in all people, all Christians. He convicts. He exposes. He illuminates our sins for us to see for ourselves in real time. And it's only because of the Holy Spirit that you and I have this ability to now see our sin. Our sin blinded us. Our best attempts to remedy it were to no avail. What we desperately needed in our darkened state was for the morning light to shine into our midst, to expose our sin. And God sent His Spirit to do just that in your life and in mine. If you're sitting here this morning and you can see the sin in your life, not only see it, but feel a weight of conviction because of it, that means that the Spirit right now in this moment is actively at work in you. This is a miraculous thing. And as painful as it can be to see ourselves as we truly are, weak and struggling sinners in need of a Savior, never, ever, Take that for granted. Never despise the fact that God has given you the gift of sight to see your own sin because here's the reality. There are billions and billions of people walking the face of the earth today who are still blinded, who still can't see themselves or the world as they truly are. But God saw fit to send his spirit to you, to reveal, to give you eyes to see your sin. This is a truly miraculous gift. But exposing our sin was only part of it. We are still in need of saving. Let's continue reading in John chapter 16, verse 12. and declare it to you. This brings us to facet number two, and that is this. The Spirit reveals the Savior. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes not only to see our sin, but to see our Savior. Verse 14 declares that the same Spirit that convicts us concerning sin, the same Spirit who helps us to see our sin Also glorifies Jesus. This word glorify means not only to praise and to honor, but to magnify. What comes to mind when you think of magnifying something? My mind tends to go to like a microscope or a telescope. Microbiologists study living organisms that are too small to be visible with the naked eye. Things like bacteria and viruses and and algae. To help them see these organisms, they use a microscope. A microscope magnifies these seemingly invisible organisms, making them appear larger than they actually are. On the other hand, an astronomer will use a telescope to magnify things like stars and moons and planets and comets. A telescope takes something that is massive but seemingly small because it's at a distance and enables the astronomer to focus in on the finer details of it, to get a greater scope and an understanding of it. The Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus in this latter way. The Spirit works as our telescope that is to say, the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see Jesus as more than just a moral man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see Jesus as more than just a leader of a movement to model our social justice efforts after. The Spirit gives us eyes to see Jesus as more than just another wise religious teacher. The Spirit gives us eyes to see that Jesus is more than just another prophet come and gone, dead and now buried somewhere in the Middle East. The Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see Jesus as he truly is. And that is this, my friends. The wonderful Savior of our souls and to believe in our hearts and to confess with our mouths that he alone is Lord. This is Is the good news. This is the gospel. Because of God's love for his people, he sent his only son, Jesus, into this broken world. We've already said as much. But Jesus came not only to lead people, not only to convict them of their sin and to tell them of what was to come, but he came to live in their place. Jesus came to live in your and in my place. He lived the perfectly holy life that you and I were unable to live because of our sin. He kept God's law perfectly in thought, in word, and in deed. And then he took the punishment we deserved for our sin. God declared that the wage For our sin was death, and Jesus died the sinner's death on a cross that we deserve to die. And he did so in our place as our substitute. He was buried, and after three days, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death in the fall of mankind once and for all. Because of this, whosoever, any and all who believe on this reality will not die in their sin and spend eternity separated from God, But rather, but rather will receive forgiveness for their sin and eternal life in the presence of their Savior. We can rest assured that when we die, heaven is our home, a place with no more sorrows, with no more tears, with no more sin, with no more brokenness, but most importantly, a place with perfect fellowship with our Creator. Perfect fellowship together, walking together again, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden, but even better, because it will be perfect. What a miraculous gift the Spirit is to us. In our depravity, in our darkness, we knew we needed redemption. We felt around for it. We sought it out in the people of things of this world, which availed powerless to save. But now the Spirit gives us eyes to see our sin. And not only this, but gives us eyes to see the Savior, Jesus Christ. The Spirit reveals our sin, He reveals the Savior. And lastly, facet number three the Spirit reveals the truths. Of scripture, The Spirit gives us eyes to see and to believe the truths of God's Word. Or let me, let me frame it this way. The Spirit doesn't just reveal sin, reveal our Savior, and leave us to navigate the complexities of life in this fallen world alone. No, He continues to illuminate our path until the day when our faith becomes sight. This is what He does. We're still in the same section of John 16, but this time honing in on verse 13, where John writes this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Or said another way in just a couple of chapters prior in John 14, verse 26, he said this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus walked with his disciples every day for the final three years of his life. They witnessed many miracles, they witnessed many healings, they witnessed many miraculous signs and wonders, and they heard many, many teachings. John actually concludes his letter in this way. He said, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. But Jesus sent his spirit to his disciples in order to bring all those things to remembrance. Because the apostles, they were responsible for this. The Bible completing the writing of this book as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that in turn, you and I could also be guided into all truth by the Spirit. Let's consider 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Peter, an apostle, said this, "'We did not follow cleverly devised myths "'when we made known to you the power "'and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we had the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp. Shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's the reality when the Spirit gives us eyes to see our sin and to see our Savior, Our journey has just begun. As redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God, what are we to do when faced with the realities of the broken world around us all? As we walk down this road called life, we are still tempted. We will still succumb to sin. These mortal bodies will fail us There is anxiety and there is depression. There is chronic pain. There are jacked up relationships. There is heartache. There are sins committed against us. There is abuse. There are financial struggles. There is poverty. There is famine. There is hunger. There are wars, nation against nation, just as we are seeing with Russia and Ukraine today. And there is ultimately death in our mortal bodies, there's this lingering reality that though God has given us eyes to see ourselves and the world around us with increased clarity, not everyone is there and not all is right yet. In the meantime, how are we to navigate the complexities of this broken world? Psalm 119, 105 says this Your word. Is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In the darkness of a fallen world, the Spirit reveals the way forward for us. Through this book, the Spirit continually guides and instructs us. He continually illuminates our path. As theologian Cornelius Van Til once very pointedly said, the Bible is authoritative on everything of which it speaks. Moreover, it speaks... Of everything. And it speaks of everything. There is nothing that we will face in this life that the inspired Word of God does not speak to with resounding clarity. And when we read it, the Spirit does something supernatural in us, applying those truths to our hearts, giving us continued hope. While we speak to God through our prayer, the primary way in which he speaks to us today is through his word, the Bible. So when we're faced with the remaining brokenness in ourselves and in our community and in the world around us, may we take those burdens, even as debilitating as they are, to our heavenly father in heaven and then open his word to search the scriptures because he is faithful to challenge us to encourage us, and to answer us in our time of need. We have Jesus' promise here in John 16, 13, that the Spirit himself will continually guide us into all truth. As we wrap up this morning, what a miraculous gift the Spirit himself is to us. The Spirit who reveals our sin, who reveals our Savior, and continues to reveal fresh insight to us in the face of whatever adversity may come our way. This is why it is better to have the Spirit inside of us than Jesus beside of us. Because there will never be a day again where God is not with us. He dwells inside of us forevermore, revealing our sin, revealing the Savior, and illuminating the path forward. Furthermore, he is the helper. He comforts us in all of our distress. He is the one who helps in our moment of need. He is the one who advocates that we are children of God when our hearts condemn us who even intercedes on our behalf when we don't have the words to pray, when we don't know what words to pray. The the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. In the Old Testament, God was above us. In the Gospels, Jesus walked among us, but now the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Because of the work of the Spirit, we have the light to see things as they actually are. May we surround ourselves with opportunities to be broken by the Spirit and to approach the one who provides our healing. The Spirit shines the light of truth into all areas of our lives and simultaneously shines a spotlight on the completed work of Christ. So there's three things to leave you with. If you feel the weight of your sin, and it's crippling? Know that there is a Savior. Have you placed your faith in him alone for the forgiveness of your sin? And if not, will you do so this morning? Because he is the only remedy. He is the only one who can liberate us from our slavery to sin. He is the only way to eternal life. Now, secondly, and contrastingly, If you've already submitted to the Lordship of Christ, but feel condemnation for past sin, remember there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The same Spirit who has given you eyes to see your sin has applied the finished work of Christ to your sin. I know it can feel like a losing battle, but hear me. Feelings are deceptive. Right now, at this moment, you have victory over all of your sin through Christ, and the Spirit actually empowers you now to walk in the newness of life. So maybe resolve to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And lastly, as trouble arises in our lives, remember, you don't have to figure it all out by yourself. Furthermore, you can't figure it out all by yourself, but God has given the Spirit to reveal all truth to you. So as people here at Convergent Church, may we lean into his revealing light of the Spirit wherever he shines.